0: Quite unusual. Hola, soy babies, and welcome to the Quite Unusual podcast. We are your hosts, Soy Noel.
1: Are we doing this?
0: If you want to do it, you don't have to do it. If you don't want to uh, do it, if you, you want to so- be cool, you'll do it. If you don't want to be cool, you won't do it. Fine,
1: Yo, Soy Nicole. That's us
0: speaking Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say something really quick, Nicole, if you mm-hmm. don't mind. I don't. This is something, a cause pretty close to my heart. Um, <laughs> okay. It's uh. It's really made me feel less alone, I'll say. I've just, you know, I've been in a dark place lately. Right. Um, you know, life gets you down, mm-hmm. and um, the only thing that can turn my frown upside down is eating bread in the car. <laughs> and as it
1: turns out... A thing I was very embarrassed for you to talk about. That's, I wanted to bring it up and you were like, no. And I, I was like, the world needs to know.
0: I literally thought I was the only one that did this. You're not. I fucking am a monster and I <laughs> ate loaves of bread in my car alone to 80s music. A curated 80s playlist. Sometimes I cry. I will admit it. You're not alone. I like salt on my bread. <laughs> but it turns out so many people do this. Yeah. I'm just I'm overwhelmed. I'm so I just I love hearing everyone's stories of what they eat in the car
1: and their specific playlists for doing things. I love seeing the videos that and people tagging us bread in the car on Instagram. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's
0: amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like the highlight of my fucking week, honestly.
1: And you were embarrassed. I
0: was embarrassed, which is insane. Because I rarely get embarrassed.
1: Yeah, you never do. I'm usually the one who's the shy, embarrassed one. And you were embarrassed about bread in the car. Bam. Flip and reverse it. Everyone loves it. I'm
0: so grateful. I feel like for the first time in my life, I have a community. (laughs) Bread in the car. Yeah. So thanks, guys. I just wanted to
1: give you a shout out for loving to eat bread in the car. Yeah. And if you decide to eat bread in the car shoot a video and tag us on instagram because we'd love to see it we fucking love it dude love to see
0: it in any kind of bread there was a a healthy debate over whether bagels counted
1: oh yeah they do yeah
0: anything i'm gonna say anything you eat in the car counts as bread in the car
1: (laughs) even if it's not bread
0: yeah sometimes i eat gummies in the car because you know i like sustain myself on gummies and bread basically yeah and i listen to my bread in the car playlist it's rare Mm. it's rare I know I know I shouldn't do it cross-contamination but you need gummies in the car playlist I do that would just be annoying though they'd be like I'm a barbie girl (laughs) and I would just like be eating gummy bears yeah
1: yeah it seems pretty on brand though doesn't it I feel like I'm surprised you have a bread in the car over gummies in the car I eat so much more bread than gummies in the car
0: really yeah I'm more of a lay in bed and eat gummies kind of person Mm -hmm. wow I'm just sharing everything (laughs) right now your deepest target secrets. Gummies in the bed, bread in the car. That's the new... <laughs> gummies in the bed, bread in the car. Yeah. Bread like in the streets, it. gummies in the sheets. <laughs> okay? That's me. I love it, actually. Yeah. I love it. All right. I'm going to put that on my Tinder profile. Do it. No, I don't have Tinder. I don't even know what Tinder looks like.
1: It's terrible. I have no, don't have it.
0: I have no idea. But if I had one, it would absolutely say bread in the streets, gummies in the
1: sheets. <laughs> I bet you so many people would swipe right for you.
0: Is that the good way?
1: I think so. I haven't been on Tinder in so long. They would swipe the good one
0: then? Yeah, the good one. Thank you. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Thank you hypothetical guys
1: on Tinder. (laughs) That would swipe right for you. (laughs) We uh, did another fun thing today. Oh. I forced Noelle out of her house Mm -hmm. and into... Public. Public for a drink. And some food mm-hmm. for the first time in how long, Noelle? Um, a really super long
0: time. Since
1: Halloween yeah. weekend. Yeah. Yeah. She has not been to a restaurant Mm-mm. or out. Mm-mm. She was extremely scared. I was, I almost cried. I was she angry. <laughs> I, was so, I was so mad at you. You demanded that I throw you an apology dinner afterwards. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you were mad. But we had just finished movie club, and we had all this time, and I didn't want to go home.
0: That would have been weird back. if you came. That would have been so weird if you right? went home and came
1: back. Yeah. So, And we had to eat dinner, too, because we had been drinking. Got to. So I dragged her to the local watering hole in our town <laughs> A beacon hometown. of sorrow. That's right. A beacon of sorrow. It is... <laughs> It is a beacon of sorrow. It is a beacon of sorrow. And can I give the big reveal here?
0: Yeah, please do. There was a fucking wedding there, you guys.
1: Yeah. So the whole reason why we went to this specific place, which is in our hometown, uh-huh. everyone it's who's like, in from our high school that l- still lives in town goes there all the time. It's towny as fuck. Yeah. And the only reason we went is because we wanted to sit outside because it was a beautiful day today.
0: And there's apparently one restaurant with outdoor seating in this <laughs> entire town. <laughs>
1: Anyways, we get there and we're like, can we sit outside? And the lady's like, no. We're like, okay. What about that table right there? Yeah. So apparently there was a wedding happening outside. It was a fucking wedding. Not only a wedding. Oh, an 80s themed wedding. An 80s themed It wedding. was an 80s themed wedding.
0: There was a man wearing a Bush Reagan 84 shirt.
1: <laughs> but like jeans. Yeah.
0: Like denim. That was his 80s outfit. The bride had amazingly teased hair. Yes. It was like
1: a virgin wet dream it was so fucking good they were playing all of the classic 80s tunes probably a few from bread in the car actually from that playlist i i wish
0: (laughs) it was amazing it was it was my dream wedding yeah towny
1: bar 80s theme flock of seagulls in the background Seriously, I'm actually kind of mad that I didn't have an 80s themed wedding. Redo. Second wedding. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously.
0: (laughs) Can we have a fake wedding between you and me? Do you want to be the 80s bride or the 80s groom? Uh, I want to be the 80s bride. Okay. All right. I support that for sure. (laughs) I will be an 80s groom. Okay.
1: And I'm going to fucking crush it. (laughs) My hair is going to be insane. Will you also marry us because you can do that because you're a registered minister?
0: Oh, yeah. Did you guys know I'm a registered minister? So if anyone's getting married, <laughs> let know me know and I will perform your wedding for you. She does fantastic work. Pro bono. Actually, give me a loaf of bread as payment and I'll eat it in the car on the way home. <laughs>
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's get to our topic. So today we are talking about something super, super freaking sad, honestly. Yeah. Sorry. Um, it's dark. It's dark. And unexplained. and No one really knows. No. No. What happened or why. It's very frustrating, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure I will wax poetic about how frustrated I am about it in a moment. This is a story of the disappearance of the Yuba County Five. Mm -hmm. And when we were doing research for this, we read a ton of contemporary articles. Yeah. In the language that they used to use. Yeah, to
1: describe developmentally disabled people, uh, the title of titles of these articles using the R word is just—it's insane, insane. Yeah, it's absolutely insane.
0: Yeah, like there was this one part in one of the articles where one of one of these guys that disappear, mm-hmm. his mom just describes him as "quote unquote"
1: slow. slow. Yeah, which is actually. One of the nicer ways that they had actually referred to these men in these articles. So,
0: yeah, they get really weird with it. Yeah, I'm not doing my Forrest Gump impression
1: because you sound British and stuff. Because I sound British and stuff, and I don't
0: want to do it. Okay. Please cut this part out. You can put it in the bloopers, but not in
1: this. I think you. I think you should do it. I don't even remember what I was gonna say. Give us like a taste of it.
0: Oi! I love you, Jenny. There it is. Fucking nailed it. I mean, have you seen the movie? That's like, he sounds exactly like that. About to run a thousand miles. Cause feel like it. Exactly. <laughs> you ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan. I want, Lieutenant Dan, you ain't got no legs. <laughs> all right. Now I want an all British rendition of Forrest Gump.
1: Oh yeah. That would be nice.
0: I think so. We're just getting way way far left on this one so i'm gonna say
1: it ready without further ado Mm. the story of the yuba county five on february 24th 1978 a group of five men from yuba county california ventured out to attend a uc davis basketball game at california state in chico california which was 50 miles away from yuba county where they lived And I actually Google mapped this since we are a geography podcast. We are, first and foremost, a geography podcast specializing in geography. And Forrest Gump accents. (laughs) Yes.
0: Only one of us is an expert on that, though.
1: You. It's you. (laughs) So I mapped it, and actually Yuba County to Chico, California, is about an hour, so... If you disagree, please write us a negative review. If you instead think it's like an hour and 30 minutes away, I fucking dare, fucking you. dare you. Fucking dare you. Do it. You. That night, the boys all jumped into Jack Madruga's 1969 Mercury Montego, which was turquoise and white and looks just as cool as you think it does. Dude, a fucking land yacht. Sleeps four comfortably. <laughs> How many does it sleep uncomfortably? Seven. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Well, I have a question though. Why don't they make cars turquoise anymore? Because turquoise is like the worst color. It is not motion to bring motion to start a petition to bring back
0: pastels and car colors. I mean, I'll allow it, but technically, I have no legal right to do anything here. So, if you want a turquoise car, we'll turquoise it. Turquoise,
1: my car, please. But anyways, they all jumped in the car, and they made their way down to Chico for the basketball game. When the boys departed, they were all wearing light coats, despite the chilly February air. Ted Weir's grandmother told Ted, You need a coat. You need a coat. As she watched him walk out the front door for the last time. Ooh, ominous. Oh, Grandma, I won't need a coat, Weir said. Not tonight. A statement I'm sure he would later go on to regret. This case is also referred to as the Matthias Group Incident and the American Diet Love Pass Incident, which, if you haven't listened to our Diet Love Pass two parter, I suggest you do.
0: Yes. And also just the listener mail part of the episode after that, because yes. we solved Diet Love Pass. We did. We know what happened. And if you want to know too, you got to listen. I've heard it pronounced as Matthias. Matthias? I've heard it pronounced as Matthias. <laughs> I like it. I think we should just mix it up and All we should right. go crazy. We're
1: going to do two. So if somebody wants to hate on us for mispronouncing it, they can only hate on me or you. Hold on. I'll flip this
0: chapstick to see what the answer is. If it lands if it lands on its side, then it's Matthias. If it lands on the other side, then it's Matthias.
1: Okay. What does that mean? I
0: don't know, but it rolled. So I think it's a false positive. <laughs> All right, let's just keep going. Just okay. feel, Just see what feels
1: right. Okay. <laughs> Please feel free to message us with what the correct pronunciation is. But before we get into the extremely weird and unexplained disappearance, let's talk a little bit about the boys with a Z. They actually didn't add a Z to the end, but it just sounds super way cooler. So we're going to so go with it. So much cooler. But they were called the boys, and they were referred to this in a very loving manner. But they in their head... Definitely added the Z to it. Totally, it's so cool. The boys, we're the boys. These five men were referred to as the boys. Boys, and that's what we're going to call them from now on. Just imagine a Z in your head. We're ending this word yeah. with a Z. Like probably three Z's actually. Oh my God, what? <laughs> yeah. we're getting buzzy. <laughs> we're going go crazy. They were all between the ages of twenty-four and thirty-two. Starting with the youngest, their names were Jack Hewitt. Gary Mathias, Bill Sterling, (laughs) Jack Madruga, and Ted Weir, who was the oldest at 32. All of the boys, who were actually men, lived at home with their parents. I'm sorry, did you just boys to mend them? I did boys to mend them. Nice. (laughs) Jack Hewitt, Bill Sterling, Ted Weir, and Jack Madruga all had mental and intellectual disabilities, which is why they lived with their parents. Jack Madruga, however, never was actually diagnosed as being mentally disabled, but he had a very low IQ, and his own mother called him slow. That's messed up. Yeah. Some of the boys actually had IQs as low as in their 40s. I think it seems messed
0: up to me now to call someone that but back in the day like 1978 it
1: wasn't unusual that was like the nice way of putting it i feel like in back then yeah gary was the only boy out of the group who did not have a mental disability however gary was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia which also made him dependent on his parents but he was actually on medication to control his symptoms All of the men were enrolled in a program for mentally handicapped adults called Gateway, which is actually how they all got together and formed the boys with three Z's. Even though they lived at home, the men were actually pretty high-functioning and for the most part could take care of themselves. Two of the men, Jack Madruga and Gary Mathias, actually had driver's licenses and had even served in the army. The five boys loved basketball and were even on a team together that was set to play a Special Olympics basketball game the next day for their team called the Gateway Gators. That is such a cute name. I know, isn't it? I don't know why. This was something the boys were so excited for. Some of them even laid out their uniforms for the big game the night before. And before he left, Gary even asked his mother to make sure he did not oversleep the next morning because he did not want to miss the big game. If the Gators won this week-long basketball tournament, they would win a free week in L.A. Whoa! Yeah, who doesn't want that?
0: To, like, do whatever they wanted? I don't know the specifics of it, but free they just, week in L.A. They just drop you off. Like, the bus ticket is free, okay? They drop you off in L.A., and they're like pick up in a week, kid, and then you're (laughs) on your own for an entire week. So it's actually kind of a punishment. Yeah, well, they were super stoked for it. They had no idea what they were getting themselves (laughs) into.
1: So let's get a little bit into each boy before we dig deeper into the case. So first we have Jack Hewitt, who was the youngest of the group at just 24 years old, and he was the one who had the most severe disabilities of the group, Jack hated to be away from home. Jack and Ted Wire, who was the oldest of the group, were best friends actually, and they did everything together. So much so that people even thought that they were brothers. Jack or Jackie as we'll call him since there are two Jacks, was called Ted's shadow, and Ted looked after him like he was his younger brother. Jackie hated talking on the phone, which same Oh. And Ted would sometimes make calls for him. That's so nice. Which is actually funny because I think we've had this same conversation <laughs> where I've, I've told Noelle that uh-huh. I hate making appointments for myself because I just, I don't know what it is. I hate talking on the phone. I always feel so awkward. Why? I don't know. I just, I really hate it. All right. I Maybe you. I think it's like a disconnect between, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But Noelle is such a good friend that she offered to make my appointments for me because that's what friends do (laughs) you know what i would be the ted weir wire how do you say ted wire wire weir either way (laughs) i would be the ted dear jackie any day oh thank you ted wire the oldest of the bunch at age 32 was known as a very friendly guy and always had a positive outlook on life ted like the others was functioning but they said he lacked common sense so he once spent over $100 on pencils for absolutely no reason at all. And he also didn't get why people had to stop at stop signs. It's the only rule. It's the only rule about the sign. He just didn't understand it. It's a stop. Yeah, it's the only rule. His brother Dallas Wire said Tim would wake him up in the middle of the night and ask him, how come Mickey Mantle can hit the ball farther than me? At the time... Tim had worked as a janitor and was also working at a snack bar where he was very well-liked by the patrons due to his outgoing personality. And it also helped that he gave everyone
0: Doritos 3D. (laughs) Did they have those in 1978? I don't think they did. I think that was like a 90s thing. Oh, okay, never mind. Well, he invented it in his head and he was telling people about it and they're like, wow, you're going to be a
1: really popular guy one day. (laughs) Ted loved this job, but his parents urged him to quit because... They thought it stressed him out too much and was just way too much for him to take on at the time. The next boy we have is William Sterling, also known as Bill, who was 29 years old and was very religious and would actually go to mental hospitals spreading the good word, hoping to help others find the same solace in the good book that he had. Bill was a dishwasher at Beale Air Force Base where the airmen would... Get Bill drunk and take advantage of him by stealing his money. What the fuck? Which makes me very mad. Especially because if you see the pictures of the boys, he just looks so cute and innocent. And I I just can't believe people would do that to someone. But I guess it also doesn't surprise me. So
0: yeah, it doesn't surprise me.
1: But that's super fucked yeah. up. Bill hated the outdoors. After his <laughs> father took him on a fishing trip, he told his dad that he never wanted to go again. Bill was very close to the other Jack in the group, Jack Madruga. And on to Jack Madruga. He was age 30, and he was a high school graduate, and like mentioned before, he wasn't actually diagnosed with a mental disability, but his mother called him slow. Jack was an Army veteran, and after that he worked in a factory, and then as a busboy, but he was fired from both jobs. Oh, It was Jack's 1969 Mercury Montego that the boys took to see the basketball game. And our last boy is Gary Mathias, or Mathias, if you want to sound, I guess. If you want to put the word thigh in there. (laughs) More professional. If you want to talk about thighs a lot, you say (laughs) Mathias. Gary Mathias, who was 25 years old, was also a U.S. Army veteran. He had terrible eyesight, which in turn required him to wear extremely thick glasses. Are you judging that right now? I'm not judging. It's just a fact. Okay. Well, why are you looking at me so hard when you say that? (laughs) You're looking at me, so I'm looking back. I can barely see you through these glasses, but why are you looking at me Are they not thick enough? Do you need to get them a little bit thicker?
0: (laughs) Wow. What's it like to wake up and just have perfect eyesight in the morning? It's pretty good. Wow. It's pretty good.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Can't complain. No complaints over here. Wouldn't know. (laughs) Gary was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, which he managed with medications such as Stelazine and Cogentin. Don't know if I said those right, but okay. But before this, Gary was known to have very violent outbursts and had actually been charged with assault twice. In the beginning, when Gary first came back from the Army, he would sometimes forget to take his meds and would fall into disoriented psychosis or go haywire, as his stepfather would say. It's <laughs> such an old-timey term, too. Right. He's just got the crazies
0: and he's going haywire. He's going
1: haywire. On these occasions, Gary would be treated at the Veterans Administration Hospital. For the two years before that fateful night, Gary had been on meds and was very stable. He was managing his illness, and Gary was working part-time for his stepfather's gardening business. After the game ended, just before 10 p.m., and their team had won, the boys were in high spirits and ready to head home to rest up for their own basketball game the next day. The boys proceeded to head home and packed into Jack's Mercury Montego, They drove to Bears Market in downtown Chico, which was a very short ride from California State. I actually read it was like three blocks away, actually. Geography podcast. Geography podcast. And they grabbed some road snacks for the ride back. They apparently bought one Hostess cherry pie, one Langendorf lemon pie, one Snickers bar, one Marathon bar, two Pepsis, and a quart and a half of milk. Yum. Which, I don't know who's deciding on drinking milk as their road trip drink of choice, but (laughs) I guess it's good for your bones. I I don't know. It just feels like milk was a bad choice. Milk was a bad choice.
0: Like that scene in Anger Man where he's running wildly. and Love a good Anger Man reference. (laughs) Last
1: case of (laughs) emotions. Milk was a bad choice. (laughs) That's what I was thinking when I wrote that. (laughs) Just like Ron Burgundy spiraling. But speaking of road snacks, yeah. what's your favorite road trip snack? Ooh. Road, like real road trip? Yeah. Like a real road trip. Like if you're going to be in a car for longer than three hours. Well, I did just go on a road trip. You did? I did. To Point Pleasant. I did. Well, all their places, but yeah, more important <laughs> you places. Stop. Stop. But there. I
0: did pass through there, yes. Um, I think the most important thing you can bring on a road trip. Mm hmm. Is caffeine. Ooh, that's a good one. So, like a bottled coffee situation, mm. primo, gots to get Yum. it, but then also something sweet and something salty. Dude, yes, same, you have to, you have to go salty and sweet. For me, it's got to be a peanut butter or chocolate situation. hmm and then also a pretzel because sometimes you want
1: salty, sometimes you want sweet, sometimes you combine sometimes them. Sometimes you want to put them together. See, I go. You know those uh, Arizona, the tall cans of Arizona. Oh, yeah. tea? so good, dude. Got to get one of those. Got to. I love Charleston chews. Bonus do you? points if they're in the freezer. How do your teeth not fall out? They you got in the freezer, man. Ugh. So good, and salt and vinegar chips. Salt and vinegar chips, They're life. But you can't combine those things. I don't really like to combine my salty and sweet. I like to keep them separate. What? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I'm weird like that, I guess. Dang, dude. But anyways, the store clerk at Bear Market remembered the boys because they had actually annoyed her. The store was set to close at 10 p.m. And the group came in just before and delayed her from starting her closing duties, The sore clerk would be the last confirmed witness to ever see the boys alive. Some of the boys' parents had stayed up to make sure that the boys came home, but they never did. When morning came and the boys still had not shown up, the parents called the police, and an investigation into their whereabouts was put into place. So the boys, with a Z. Mm. Their parents,
0: also with a Z. (laughs) (laughs) They're flipping out because their kids are missing, which makes total sense to me. It's sort of like they start kind of getting up in the middle of the night, like to go to the bathroom or like do whatever and they notice that their children aren't
1: home. Right. Kind of and one some, by one. Some of some of them even stayed up to wait for them to Right. And uh, they just never came. And then they do that classic
0: thing that everyone used to do before texting. Mm -hmm. where you call this person's parents, you call this person's parents, they call someone else's parents, and then they've all come to the consensus that no child is home, basically. Yeah,
1: no one knows where the boys are.
0: Right. So after all of the parents and grandparents sort of decide that something needs to be done, their children aren't home, Ted and Bill's... Whoa. Bill and Ted? Bill and Ted. (laughs) Whoa. Excellent. Most egregious. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Their mamas call the cops and the cops immediately jump to action. And in the morning, they start to put together a search party. They did have a little trouble getting together a search party since it's the end of February and really no one wanted to go out and look for lost kids in the winter.
1: That's kind of shitty, though. (laughs) It's super shitty. It's cold. I don't want to look for your lost kids. Sorry.
0: Yeah. So they did have some trouble getting people together, but ultimately it was mostly police officers and then the parents that obviously agreed to go look for them. So with this small search party gathered up, they start to trace the boys from their last known locations. They searched all along the road that the boys with the Z took from Yuba to Chico to the basketball game with no luck. Until a few days later, when a national park ranger at the Plumas Forest told the local police that he had seen a Mercury Montego parked alongside Oroville Quincy Road on February 25th, which is the day after the Boys of the Z disappeared. Mm-hmm. You'll just imagine the Z. I don't need to keep saying it, I think. Yeah.
1: Well, the three Zs, I think we've established. Oh, yeah. So
0: I'll just, like, draw it out at the end. Z. Z. Yeah. Yeah. Channel my inner B movie. The park ranger only thought to call the police with this tip of the vehicle after he had heard a police bulletin describing the exact car that he saw. The ranger said that he didn't really think anything of the Mercury being parked there, Because plenty of people drive up that road in the winter to ski in the Sierra Nevada mountains. The same morning, the forest ranger had remembered seeing the Mercury. A man named Joe Shones called in a tip that he too had seen the Mercury. Joe had been in the area checking on a cabin that his family owned on the night of February 24th. We'll get into this more a little bit later because he's Mm -hmm. super super important to the story. Mm -hmm. But we're just going to kind of gloss over it for now and then hop back into it later. Okay. Joe had seen the Mercury in the early hours of February 25th, but he didn't think to say anything of it at first. That is, until he saw a news report stating that the boys at the Z were missing. He called in the information to the police immediately. On the morning of February 28th, the authorities used both the Rangers and Joe Shone's statement to track down the missing Mercury Montego. The scene at the vehicle was very confusing. All of the food that they had bought had been eaten except half of one of the candy bars, which was ironically the Marathon Bar. Oh. Yeah. That was like their slogan, like, bet you can't finish it all. Well, they didn't. <laughs> Fucking succeeded on that one. <laughs> Must have been an advertising victory right there. Right. If, you know, it wasn't for, like, the disappearances. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That, mm, that kind of yeah makes it a little dark. But... Yeah,
0: but lived up to the name. For sure. And that's what's important. Yeah. yeah. The candy bar company won. They always do. They always do. Always. God damn you, Mars bars. The vehicle had about a quarter tank of gas. The keys were missing, and the mercury was in a snow bank, but it was just a little stuck, nothing insane. Like, the cops could tell that the tires had spun, but it wasn't actually stuck in the snow. The five boys should have been able to easily push the mercury out of the bank, and stopped its tires from spinning endlessly on the snow beneath. But for some reason, they didn't even attempt to, it seemed like. Yeah, they just left it there. The vehicle had been completely abandoned there, just in the midst of this dark, dense winter forest on this sort of of end-of-a-road situation. The search party that had been assembled was determined to find the boys, but Mother Nature had another idea. With a combination of the freezing temperatures and the rocky terrain and snowy inclines, it was almost impossible to search. Helicopters were employed to survey the area for anomalies from above. Some of the other search party took horses to comb the woods for any sign of the boys, but still nothing turned up. The families raised a combined $3,600 for any information leading to the guys. In the meantime, police worked every eyewitness account that they came across to try to get some more information. Because of the large media coverage of the case, a ton of police reports came in with information about where the boys could have been. Most were not very helpful, but two really stood out. Joe Shone, who we just talked about, had had a heart attack that night and he saw the boys and he called to tell the police what he had seen. He had driven up there on the same road that the boys did, where he had a cabin, like I said earlier. He went to check the snowpack in advance for a weekend ski trip with his family. At 5.30 p.m., about 150 feet up the road, his vehicle had gotten stuck in the snow. He was driving a tiny little Volkswagen Beetle. Why would he do that on this road when he had a cabin?
1: Not a fucking (laughs) clue.
0: No, I don't know. Real men. That own cabins, drive beetles. That's why. And Ted Bundy. Real men and Ted Bundy. Did he drive one? Yeah. I didn't tan know that. Volkswagen, yeah. Why do they make tan cars? It's so... Oh. Well, we'll get into that later, Damn. I guess. That's, <laughs> that's some after show content right there. <laughs> so his vehicle had gotten stuck in the snow because it was a Volkswagen Beetle. While trying to get it out, he thought he was having a heart attack, so he stopped and he sat in his car to rest six hours later while lying in the car he saw headlights coming up behind him looking out of his window he saw a car parked behind him with the headlights on shining in he saw a group of people standing around it one of which seemed to be a woman holding a baby so weird super weird he called to them for help but they stopped talking immediately and they turned their headlights off almost as if they were hiding from him later on he saw more lights from behind him This time, it was flashlights, and they also went out when he called to them for help, again, like these people were hiding from him. Joe remembered a pickup truck parked about 20 feet behind him for a moment, just a few minutes, and then it continued down the road. Joe's car ran out of gas a few hours later, and he walked eight miles down the road to the lodge there, where he asked the manager to drive him home. On the drive, he passed the mercury, and he remembered voices coming from the car. He told police that he could have been delirious from pain, which was backed up by a doctor's report stating that he did have a minor heart attack that night.
1: Jeez, can you
0: imagine knowing that you're having a heart attack? And just not being able to do anything about it? Yeah,
1: that's insane. Well, I mean, amazing that he survived, but...
0: It is, but something that I was reading that just made this whole situation worse to me Mm -hmm. is apparently Volkswagen Beetles had like the worst heating system of any vehicle. Really? Yeah. Like they had basically they called them like ankle burners. Mm -hmm. So when you turn the heat on, it was just hot heat off the engine, blasting in your ankle and no (sighs) fan. So it was pretty much like hell on earth with this man, either he was burning to death or freezing to death. Or dying of a heart attack. <laughs> While having a heart attack. <laughs> While
1: freezing or burning.
0: Yeah. What a fucking nightmare of a night. Well, what a badass because he lived through it. Ted's mom dismissed this, saying that her son would not ignore someone else's pleas for help. She didn't believe that he had been there because of this one fact.
1: Right. He was the one who worked at the snack bar and was very friendly. So yeah. Super nice guy. I believe that.
0: The other phone call that the police took was one from a woman who worked at a store in Brownville, which is just a small little town about 30 miles from where the car had been abandoned. On March 3rd, a woman who saw flyers that had been distributed with the men's pictures on them. Sorry, I'm so sorry. With the boys' pictures on them. (laughs) Yeah, get it right. I'm so sorry. She saw the bit about the reward that the families had put up and decided to call the police pretty much because of that. Just because of the reward? I mean, she probably wanted to help, too. She had information, but, like, rewards, Mm, right? That's a little sus. Yeah, so she called the police, and she said that the four boys had stopped at the store in a red pickup truck two days after the disappearance. The store owner was able to corroborate her story to a T. The woman said that she immediately recognized the boys from the flyer, and she also recognized the the reward money, um, as they had stood out to her in person. She remembered, quote, Big eyes and facial expressions. Jack and Bill were in the phone booth outside while the other two went inside. Police considered the woman a credible witness, and they took her account seriously as really their only lead here. They discounted Joe's story a little bit because he was having a heart attack, and they just
1: weren't sure if he was
0: cognizant for the whole situation.
1: Right. Like, I I mean, I believe he saw something, Mm -hmm. but... It's also hard to believe the accuracy because he was burning and freezing at the same time and also possibly...
0: Yeah, he was, like, dying three different ways at once <laughs> yeah. and then somehow survived.
1: Right. So, yeah, I, I would, too, think that maybe he could have been a little delirious. He, had like, a lot. he had, like, a lot going
0: on. Yeah. It was like, how is he going to focus <laughs> on this one thing when, like, so many other things are happening right now? The store owner also told police that the boys who he believed to be and Hewitt came in and bought burritos chocolate milk, and soda. Ted's brother agreed that the store owner's description of the two boys' behavior seemed consistent with them. As Ted would, quote, eat anything he could get his hands on and was often accompanied by Jackie Jackie more than any of the other four. However, Jackie's brother said that Jack hated using telephones to the point that he would hand off calls for his brother to other men in the group. Yeah, like Ted. Ted yeah. would
1: take his calls for him. Yeah, always.
0: He would know well for the Nicole. He would, yeah. Every exactly. time. But that seems sort of like a non-fact to me. Like, I know he hated using the phone, but maybe mm. this one time he did use a phone.
1: And he was also, it was Bill. She said she saw him and Bill. So Bill right. could have been the one talking. He could have just been there next to Bill.
0: Right. So who knows? With little evidence, the authorities had no choice but to wait until the spring thaw before they could really get any answers. The vehicle was the best and really only piece of evidence for this case. Inside the mercury were the food wrappers, empty soda cans, and an empty milk carton. So they really demolished that milk. Yeah, they, they loved it. Apparently it was a good choice. Well, chug chug pass, am I right? <laughs> These were the items that they got from that little store. There were also programs from the basketball game that they had just attended, and a neatly folded roadmap of the state of California. The inside of the car contained no surprises, pretty much only exactly what you would expect from the boys. But what was so surprising was the location of the vehicle. It was about 70 miles from Chico, far off the direction route to Yuba City or Marysville where the boys lived. None of the boys' families could reason why this might be the case. Why would they have driven up a seemingly random, long, winding dirt road in the middle of winter? especially into a high-elevation remote forest. Mm
1: It
0: didn't make sense. And why would they have gone there purposefully without any extra winter clothes? And why would they go the night before a basketball game that they were all super stoked for?
1: Yeah.
0: None of this was adding up to anyone. Jack's parents said that he did not like the cold weather, and he had never been up into the mountains. And remember, Bill's father said that he had once taken his son to the area that where the car was found for a fishing weekend. Mm-hmm. But his dad remembered that he hated it so much that the next time they went, he's like, no, I'm not going. Yeah, you can go on your nope. own. The biggest question was why they had abandoned the car. The vehicle was up 4,400 feet in elevation on the road, right at the snow line for that time of year. Just a few feet up, the road had been closed off for winter. The car was stuck in the snow drift, like we said earlier, but there was no reason that they couldn't have easily gotten it out. Mm-hmm. Because the keys were not in the car, it was suggested that it had been abandoned purposefully because possibly it wasn't working right. But this also didn't check out because police hotwired the car, which <laughs> sick brag, hotwired a car.
1: I've always wanted to learn how to do that.
0: Can you do that with new
1: cars? I don't know. But like, and you know how I always do in movies? Yeah. I've always wanted to learn how It's to just do like it. so fucking sick yeah. too. It's like just in case I lose my keys and I don't know. You got to get out a of A killer's Dodge. coming after me. Yeah. I just need to hotwire it really quick. Yeah.
0: Or like you just want to look cool all the time so you only do that. <laughs> it's a fucking flex, dude. So they hotwired this car. Sick brag. And it started off immediately. Plus, like we said, there was plenty of gas in the car, so that wasn't an issue either.
1: Mm-hmm. If I mean, yeah, if they were cold, they could have sat in the car. There was enough gas for it. Right. They could have pulled a Joe and burned their ankles. <laughs> exactly.
0: Police towed the car back to the station to investigate further and found that there had been no damage to the underneath of the car. This was highly suspicious because they had driven up the mountain road, a road with many large rocks bumps and depressions I mean it's a freaking mountain road okay Mm -hmm. and unless this was like your driveway or like you knew the road by like the back of your hand or you've been there like a bunch of times there was no way that you could possibly drive through this like up this road and not hit something Unless you were doing it very carefully. Maybe. The car was Jack's baby. Like, he fucking loved this car. Mm -hmm. So maybe he was just being super careful, but it just seemed really sort of crazy and almost too perfect. This led the police to believe that someone else had possibly driven the car up the road. Also, the window of the car was rolled down and the car was unlocked. Jack never, ever did this. He was always so sure to keep his car secured. This was just like a massive red flag for his parents because Mm -hmm. he would seriously never, ever do this.
1: And he would never abandon his car either because, like you said, he loved it. It was his baby. It was his most prized possession.
0: Yeah, so this is super, super weird. Mm -hmm. He was very obsessive about not getting his car stolen. He always made sure to lock it. During the initial search for the boys, a severe snowstorm rolled in, leaving even the most well-equipped police on snow cats to get lost in the snow. This caused a huge holdup in the search, and everyone
1: agreed to just wait it out for a while until the weather cleared up to continue searching. As the snow melted and spring started to appear, there had been no new leads in the case. Until Saturday, June 4th. Remember, the boys went missing the night of February 24th. So this was a little over three months later. Wow. Yeah. A group of bikers were riding their hogs through the winding mountain roads when they came across a trailer with a broken window deep within the woods. This trailer was maintained by the Forest Service. And these were good bikers. And they went up, they're like,
0: no, no one can break into shit. We're going to fucking fuck these people up. (laughs) That's my biker voice. It's pretty good. good biker right? voice. Thank yeah. you.
1: It's a little bit better than your Forrest gump voice. Okay, well, I don't want to talk about that right <laughs> now, but thank you. The bikers stopped and investigated, and they discovered a grisly scene. When the bikers opened the door to the trailer, they were met with a ghastly smell. In one article I read, it said that they could smell the trailer before they even got yeah, to it. It just smelled like death. Mm-hmm. The bikers found a bunk bed inside the trailer, and on the bed lay a body of a man wrapped in eight layers of blankets and sheets covering his entire body, including his head. On the table was a ring engraved with the name Ted, a necklace, a wallet, and a gold watch. The body on the bunk bed was the eldest of the group, Ted Wire. Ted wasn't wearing any shoes and they were nowhere in sight. His feet were very infected and frostbitten, his pants were rolled up to his knees, and he had five missing toes. Oh my god. Ted had lost a significant amount of weight, about 100 pounds, and he had grown a beard. Police estimated that this meant that Ted had survived 8 to 13 weeks before succumbing to starvation, freezing temperatures, and eventually dying of exposure and pulmonary edema, which is excess fluid in the lungs and can be caused by pneumonia. Okay, so this is about three months after. Mm -hmm. Actually,
0: a little over three months. Yeah. And that means that if he had survived 13 weeks, Mm -hmm. this would have been, what, five days? I'm not good at math. Like I can't do that in my head. this would have been less than a week. He would have died less than a week before these bikers found him. Yeah. That is so fucked up to think about. I know it's sad. That it's really dark to
1: say, but I hope he died long before that. I want to say that he did just because they said the the stench was so bad. Yeah. I feel like he had to have been there for a pretty long time. I hope so because otherwise, dude, wow. To die
0: right before someone stumbles upon your body.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. The trailer park in which Ted was found was 20 miles away from the abandoned Mercury Montego. So somehow, Ted walked 20 miles in thick snow. Snow that was sometimes even up to six feet tall. Which, I guess, could be the cause of his missing five toes. That's so many toes. Yeah. Yeah. During the investigation, police discovered that the trailer was full of supplies. Supplies that could have potentially saved Ted's life. There was clothes, there was food, multiple things to start a fire with, but all remained completely unused. Several matches were found alongside many paperback books and wooden furniture that could have been used to start a fire to keep Ted warm. It's also important to remember that Ted was the one that they said did not have common sense. Yeah. Remember, he didn't really understand why people had to stop at stop signs. Right. It's the one rule that the sign has. That. Yes. <laughs> the police did not discover any attempts to make a fire. There was even a propane tank connected to the trailer that could have just been simply turned on to warm it, and it was never used. That's so fucking sad, dude. Yeah. The only thing that looked like it was rifled through was a storage shed nearby. Regardless of this, it was pretty obvious that Ted had not been at the trailer alone. For one, he was wrapped in several sheets and blankets, something he could not have done himself. There were also 36, and I also read 12, so I guess between 12 and 36, sea ration cans of food that were scattered within the trailer empty. These cans were opened with a P38 can opener, which was a can opener commonly used in the army. Oh yeah. You don't know you don't know the P38? I was never in the army, no.
0: <laughs> Far superior to the P35. Don't even fucking get me started on how much better it is, dude. You wanna see mine? Here you go.
1: I'm gonna flip it out like a little switchblade. It's like <laughs> And if you remember, Gary Mathias and Jack Madruga were the only two of the bunch who were Army veterans, and in turn the only ones who would have known how to use that can opener.
0: Yeah, it's like super complicated. Like, I don't want to brag or anything. Oh, you know how to use it, too? But uh, this is a pretty tough-to-use can opener. I mean, it can open cans and also open other cans. Wow. Here it is right here, P-38. There it is, babe. Multi-purpose.
1: You see that? Don't touch it. Nicole,
0: stop. <laughs> don't touch it.
1: So it was pretty clear that Some of the other boys were at the trailer at one point in time. Given the supplies on site, there should have been no reason that Ted should have died the way in which he did. Located in the same shed, they found more sea ration cans of food and even more dehydrated packs of food with enough supply to feed all of the five men for over a year if they needed to. That is fucking insane. They had so much food.
0: I read they even had those little fruit cups, the ones, like, the good ones with the little maraschino cherries
1: in them. Mm -hmm. And they ate none of it. Virtually none of it. Just a couple of cans. And that's it. Imagine getting stuck in, like, the winter coat. Like, let's paint the picture that they, the car was broken down. Sure, They walked in the forest to try to find shelter. Right. And you come across this... Magical trailer stocked with everything you need to survive. A fucking honey pot. Yeah, it's just that to me is just extremely bizarre. It's almost like fake. Like that's like mirage territory,
0: yeah. and it yeah. was fucking real. And, and didn't utilize it. This man who was almost two hundred pounds was about a hundred pounds mm-hmm. at the time he was found. Mm-hmm. He had starved. A hundred pounds of body weight off of himself. Surrounded by food. The irony? It's so, dude, it's so fucking sad. This fucks Mm -hmm.
1: me up. This is so fucking sad. Police also found Gary's sneakers in the trailer, but they did not find Gary or anything else that would suggest any of the men were close by. Police thought that maybe Gary had taken Ted's shoes because Ted's feet were bigger and If Gary's feet were swollen with frostbite, he may have needed the bigger size, but we're not sure. That would make sense, though. And Ted's shoes were never found, so Mm -hmm. I think it's safe to say that Gary took them. Right. But it still remains unclear as to why Ted starved and froze to death, surrounded by supplies that would have 100% saved his life.
0: Yeah. Also, I saw that they didn't even
1: attempt to patch up that broken window. Mm -hmm. It was just open. Like, they didn't even try to cover it. They didn't bother to turn on the propane tank to heat it either, so...
0: I can kind of understand that, because if you don't know, and maybe, like, what if propane explodes or something, that I can understand a little bit more, Mm -hmm. but patch up
1: a fucking hole in the wall. But I guess to counter that, too, we have to remember that Ted lacked common sense. His family even recalled one night when their home caught on fire and while the house burned to the ground ted's family had to drag ted from his bed just to get him out to safety because he refused to leave his bed because his reasoning was that he needed to sleep or else he would miss work the next day how sad is that it's so sad the only piece of evidence that gave police a lead was the discovery of a gold watch near ted's other belongings This watch did not belong to Ted, nor did it belong to any of the boys, according to their family members. This piece of evidence, though interesting, never really led to anything because there was no way for the cops to know where it had come from or why it was there. I mean, it could have also already been there before Ted had even got there. Yeah. So, didn't lead to anything. Two days after Ted's body was found in the trailer police discovered the skeletal remains of Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling four and a half miles south of the trailer off the road and 11.4 miles away from the car, and they laid on opposite sides of the road. Jack's body had been partially picked away by animals, and parts of him had been dragged 10 feet away to a nearby stream. Jack's car keys were found in the pocket of his coat, and he was face up, and his right hand was curled around his watch. Oh. Jack's cause of death was ruled hypothermia and exposure. Bill's death, however, was unable to be determined because all that was left of his body were just a few bones. It's wild. His bones were scattered around a 50-foot radius. It is so fucking wild. Yeah.
0: I did see, though, that it was, like, 100% likely that Jack had already passed away before the animals started to eat his body yeah
1: so at least there's that at least there's that positive yeah. thing and they were they had been there for over three months so i mean animals are gonna scavenge
0: oh yeah for sure and from what i've heard about um dying from hypothermia you just kind of go to sleep
1: like yeah. it sucks because you're super crazy cold yeah but it's i've heard it's peaceful yeah still sad but I oh guess yeah there are worse ways to die yes Jackie Hewitt's father decided to help with the search. Two days after the discovery of Jack and Bill, another search group was implemented to search for the remaining boys, Jack Hewitt and Gary Mathias. Jack Hewitt Sr. spotted something in the distance, a jacket amongst the snow. When Jack Hewitt Sr. picked the jacket up, his own son's spine fell out of the jacket. Jackie Hewitt's bones were scattered around the forest floor along with a pair of Levi's. Jackie's skull was found about 100 feet away and was later used to identify the body with his dental records. Fucking dark. Jack, Jackie, and Bill's remains were found northeast of the trailer. Northwest of the trailer, a quarter mile away, investigators found three wool forest service blankets and a two-cell flashlight. It's unclear if all of the boys made it to the trailer and then decided to leave it or if Jack, Jackie, and Bill succumbed to the temperatures on the way, leaving only Gary and Ted to actually come across the trailer. Mm, Okay, like they were headed to the trailer and maybe didn't make it because that's a 20-mile hike. Yeah, so maybe those three didn't make it and Ted and Gary were the only ones that actually did. It's unclear, though. It was later discovered that a snowcat had driven up from the road on February 23rd to the Forest Service trailer that Ted was found in, so this possibly suggested that the men may have spotted the tracks and then followed the tracks to the trailer, because really, I mean, how else did they find the cabin? The search continued, but till this day, Gary, nor his remains, have ever been found, Police sent a description of Gary to local hospitals and mental health facilities nearby, but no tips have ever arised. If, in fact, Gary is still alive, he would be surviving on no money, no ID, but most importantly, no medication for his schizophrenia. Gary Mathias is currently listed as a missing person, And no information about his whereabouts have come up since his disappearance on the mountain in 1978. So it's still an open case. It's still open. There have been tons of
0: theories about what and why this could have happened to the boys. Like you said at the top of the episode, this is basically our diet love pass. Yeah,
1: the American diet love pass.
0: It's a lot of bodies and zero answers, Mm -hmm. pretty much. The thing that is still stumping police is why they had been there in the first place. Even though the authorities have their bodies, there's no true explanation into what happened. Police did learn that Gary had friends in Forbestown, a small town near where they had been found. Perhaps just speculation. They had gotten the idea to visit their friend that night, made a wrong turn near Oroville, and ended up on the mountain road. Instead of going back down the road, it's speculated that the boys just followed the road, thinking that it would take them back to civilization. If they had only gone down, they would have run into the same lot that Joe Shone had, and they'd been saved. Yeah. I read that when people are lost, they have a tendency to double back, turn in weird circles, and move in strange patterns. Right. But this wasn't consistent with the way that the boys' bodies had been found. It was almost like they felt like they knew where they were going. Well, I guess at least I thought they did. Yeah. The day before the boys went missing, the Forest Service snow cats had gone down the road to clear snow off the trailer roof so that it didn't collapse under the snow that they were supposed to receive shortly. And there's some thought that maybe the boys saw the tracks and decided to follow those, Mm -hmm. hoping for salvation.
1: I think that makes the most sense to me as to how they found the cabin
0: yeah i think so too like it led them to it mm-hmm. but then possibly if the snow cats kind of went off and then maybe like circled back or something they're thinking that they followed it into the forest after the fact and then that's why maybe some of their bodies were found outside um oh. it is assumed that once they found the trailer with jack and bill probably having suffered hypothermia halfway to the trailer well you know obviously like right outside of it basically mm-hmm the remaining boys broke a window to enter the building. Their families believed that it was possible that these boys were trying to do what they thought was the right thing and not use anything that they found there for fear of getting in trouble oh. and taking what wasn't theirs. That's... Breaks my fucking heart, so dude. so sad.
1: Like, they were just too polite to Yeah, actually, oh.
0: Which would make sense if they only ate 36 or 12 meals, yeah. somewhere in between there. That's
1: nothing, but right. they ate enough... But in their minds, they Mm -hmm. didn't want... It wasn't theirs. Right. Oh, God. Wow. Then, Wired
0: died. And the others decided that they would try to get back home. So they took off on foot by different routes, ultimately leading to their deaths. Another theory is way darker. Gary had been discharged from the military after his diagnosis. And his life went pretty downhill Pretty fast for a moment. When he had been in jail, he called a guard over to his cell and he punched him in the face for some fucking reason. Just called him over and bam. Yeah, like, hey, guard, get over here. And then bam. Okay. For no reason. All right. Very cinematic. In that same month, he had been staying with his cousin when he fondled his cousin's wife in an attempt to get his cousin to call the police so he could go back to jail. The cousin called the police. Yeah. Then a few months later, after he was out again, he was arrested for threatening to stab a woman in the jaw. That's a very specific place to threaten to stab <laughs> yeah. someone. Not even face. Just your jaw. I'm going to stab you in the neck with a knife. <laughs> and, then, and then he told the woman's child, who was only three years old, I thought I'd killed you once. I guess I'll have to do it again. What? To a (laughs) three-year-old? That's some Jack Nicholson shit. (laughs) Wow. Obviously, he was having some sort of mental breakdown and wasn't being treated properly for his mental illness. Gary, in an attempt to help himself, was in and out of mental health facilities. But he hated being there, so he would break out all the time and then just begin to walk without direction. Once, after being arrested in Stockton... He was sent to a psychiatric facility. He spent two days there before breaking out through a drainage pipe. This guy fucking lives in like a heist movie. Yeah. Stabbing jaws, threatening three-year-olds, leaving through drainage pipes. Threatening (laughs)
1: three-year-olds. Can you imagine threatening a three-year-old? Because I can't. No.
0: Actually, no. (laughs) (laughs) Had to think about that one. Yeah, just like once or twice. So he escaped through a drainage pipe and then he was walking or probably also hitchhiking 80 miles back home. At one point, he was left at home. At one point, he also left his home to go live with his grandmother in northern Oregon. (laughs) His mother begged him to return home, but he just completely ignored her, like didn't say another word, and he hung up the phone. Then he showed up at his mom's house a few weeks later, super dirty, and claiming that he had walked from Portland, stealing milk off porches and eating dog food to stay alive while he Mm. walked the entire
1: 540-mile trip. He liked that song. He walked 500 miles. And then he walked some more. <laughs>
0: Only 40 more.
1: <laughs> then he walked 40 more. I
0: mean, he was a milk drinker, so like maybe he had really strong bones and he mm. could handle it. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Milk was always a good choice for Gary.
0: Always for Gary. Terrible for Ron Burgundy. Fantastic <laughs> for Gary. Finally, he became violent. Just a few weeks after his 540-mile walk home, he broke into the home of a couple, a neighbor of his. The couple woke up to find Gary standing in their bedroom. He told them that he was looking for a ring to return to Satan. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, while he was there, they owed him rent money because the (laughs) house was his.
1: That's ballsy, dude. You're going to break into somebody else's (laughs) house and demand rent money from them in their own (laughs) home? It sounds scary, but I feel like it
0: would make me laugh. (laughs) It's Like a a man's like, I need my ring. I got to give it back to Satan. Oh, and while I'm here, if you could just give me this month's rent, that would be great. Thanks so much. We're like, we own this. We we have a mortgage. No, I own it. And you're past due on rent.
1: By the way, where is Satan's ring?
0: Have you seen it? It's a mood ring. It's always black, though. It's always black. <laughs> Why didn't he just get a black ring?
1: I don't know. No one knows.
0: The couple just returned Gary to his home and they moved on with their lives, which is so fucking nice, dude. Honestly. Yeah.
1: I wonder if he did that a lot and it was just kind of like, a, oh, Gary's being Gary. Gary's here for the rent again. <laughs> they give him like Monopoly money and he's like, thanks. Yeah. Like the wife like
0: wakes up the husband. She's like, Gary's here again. Can you get this one? Gary's here for the rent.
1: <laughs> Gary's here for the rent. <laughs>
0: After that incident, he supposedly got his act together. He collected all his rent and he was ready to move on with his life. <laughs> Probably because he, I mean he found the ring, gave it back to Satan, mm-hmm. and then everything was cool between them. Then he joined the Gateway Projects and he became friends with the other four boys, forming the boys with the Z. Z. At once they were four boys. Now they are five boys. <laughs> Even though Gary seemed to have gotten his shit together, people close to him were still kind of weary of him just knowing how he used to be. This quote from the San Francisco Bee, which, by the way, I had to pay for this article. You actually did? I fucking did. You sucker. Dude. I I found
1: it and was like, nope.
0: You found it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I clicked on it, and it tried to get me to pay, and I was like, uh-uh. Well,
0: I just paid for it. <laughs> Why didn't you let me know? Well, I, I guess I know. would need to your login. I was. It was like four in the morning when I was doing this. Wow. Yeah.
1: Good for you, yeah. supporting
0: <laughs> the paper. Yeah, you're welcome for your fucking one ninety nine, you bee <laughs> fucks. Anyways, the fucking highway robbery bees state the following. Following a 1978 interview with Matthias's longtime acquaintance, Janice Enzera, Yuba County Sergeant James Black wrote that Matthias had repeatedly told Enzera of a dream where he and several people, seven to be exact, would just disappear. Enzera called Matthias a, quote, very violent person hurting several men seriously, and she also said that he hates women. Oh. Okay. Yeah, she didn't have anything very nice to say about him. All right. Dallas Wire, Ted's brother, thinks that someone killed the boys, and he points his finger at Gary Mathias. He claims that his family acted very weird after the event, and it's the only logical reason for what had happened. There was an unsolved mysteries
1: episode about the boys with the Z. I think they, t- I don't know if there was one. I think they tried to make one. Oh, really? I never saw it. So, yeah. Not. But I also, I don't think I've seen all of them. Yeah, me neither. But I think I, I don't think they've ever actually, I don't know. We'd have to check, but I don't think they ever actually made it.
0: All right. Then we'll say there was a supposed, yeah. The lost episode. The lost episode of Unsolved Mysteries about the boys with the Z. That sounds mysterious. The I like it. Boys with the Z. So all of the families agreed to do this episode, aside from Gary's family, despite him being a missing person at the time. Well, he still is. The other families thought that this was super suspicious, but I also can kind of understand why. He had a history of violence and mental illness, Mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of people would be
1: quick to point fingers at him. Right. As the murderer. And... So, a lot of people also questioned why he was even in the Gateway program to begin with because he didn't have any mental disabilities, and it was just kind of weird. I mean, he was paranoid schizophrenic, but yeah, people questioned that, and I mean, obviously, his violent past as well, yeah, so. I mean, they did kind of play like fast and loose
0: with what was considered a developmental disability and stuff back Mm -hmm. then. I mean, obviously, it wasn't developmental. But maybe he did fit into the program because it was people that were cognitively, you know, impaired. Yeah. I don't know. I think that that's fine. It doesn't. I don't know. Whatever. I'm also not a
1: family member of someone that went missing. So who am I to say anything here? Right. I think it's also suspicious that his body is also... Has is the only one that has never been found.
0: Yeah, but maybe so. he had street smarts. Maybe everyone else died, mm-hmm. and he got the fuck out of there.
1: That actually could be true. The 30, 12 to 36 cans of food mm-hmm. could have just been Gary. It could have been. I also heard that there... Years later, a woman received phone calls. Really? And it was like... It was a man stating that he had killed those five men. Whoa. And she... This woman was like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know what I'm talking about. And he hung up. And then he called back again and he was like, I killed them. I killed the five men. But he never specified who the five men were. But he said five, not four. He said five. So I don't think they ever really necessarily were were able to tie it directly to this case because it was just a, a completely random thing in this I don't even know if the woman was a credible yeah. witness or source. And it just, I mean, that's all he said. He didn't say anything about the Yuba County Five or any name, any names. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird thing that I guess happened. That's weird. But, I mean. Shit like that kind of happens weirdly all the time, though. Yeah. Very true. And I guess we'll never know. Just like we'll never know. Well, actually, we know Dialov because we solved it. So Yeah, we solved it.
0: <laughs> so if anyone else has a tip on this one, let us know. Yeah. I think out of all of the stories that we've talked about, this one might make me the saddest. Yeah. It just seems so unnecessary. And it was like one after another mistake that just yeah. didn't have to happen. I just,
1: yeah. I think a, I think a, a huge part of it is that they did have mental disabilities. Mm-hmm. I think that if they were, if they didn't, they probably, they probably would have survived. Maybe they yeah. thought that the car couldn't start. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just so sad. It is very sad. Do we have a listener mail?
0: We do have a listener mail. This one is actually a DM. Ooh, That's slippery. Right. Somebody slippery slid yeah. into our DM. This is the slipperiest DM message. Ooh. And then it slippery slid right into our episode. Ooh, like it. This week's listener lore comes from our Instagram friend, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. She says, so I've been studying chakras. Do you say chakras or chakras? I've heard both ways chakras and chakras. I like chakra because it reminds me of Chakra Well, Chakra I thought you were going to say Chakra me. Oh No, because I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard for me to say. It reminds me of Chakra And in my mm-hmm. head, I always go, Chakra Khan.
1: Yeah, I've heard both ways. I, we, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think both are accepted. Well, in that case, I'm just going to say both. I'm going to mix it up, okay? All right. that's right. We're doing a lot of that this episode. We really are.
0: <laughs> so Rachel says, okay, so I've been studying chakras and auras since I was a kid. Ooh. My childhood was a bust, so I let myself drift into the mystical stuff. Nice. I read Wayne Dyer, Sylvia Brown. Unknown authored books on how to do, on how to know if you're a psychic. I'm an empath. I'm very clairsentient and clairaudient. Why two out of three? No idea. But it runs in my family.
1: I think it, that usually happens. It usually runs. I think so too. Like you and your mom. Yeah, it's genetic. Yeah, for sure.
0: No one except my aunt, cousin, and I talk about it or acknowledge it. Roman Catholic vibes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I have so many stories that I can tell, but here's one on the last time that I had my chakras balanced. I was seeing a Donna Eden energy healer who dabbled in Barbara Bread and Work. These names mean absolutely nothing to me. I'm so sorry if they mean something to you. I want to know more. Some of
1: the early names she mentioned, I've I had heard, I've heard, but I don't know these two.
0: And these are like the big names in like chakra healing, probably. I, yeah, I would assume so. I should look into this. Yeah. This would be
1: pretty cool. Yeah,
0: I was seeing Donna Eden, energy healer, who also dabbled in Barbara Brennan work, and she was nothing like what we get stereotyped as, you know, weirdos. <laughs> she was super, dare I say, normal. Mm-hmm. She was a normie. I was on my way to an appointment, and I was pissed because I had to make a phone call, but I couldn't find my Bluetooth. I was pulled over previously for not having one, so I wasn't going to chance it. It was gone, no idea where it was. Cut to my session. We did our normal reset the energy field and expand the aura session. But she started dabbling with crystal use and chakra balancing with matching colored scarves. Ooh, interesting. Session was awesome. Like ASMR times a thousand. <laughs> the only part I clearly remember was when she took out the purple scarf and amethyst to work on my third eye. I was gone in a zone that wasn't in the room anymore. It was like I was floating, but I drifted through the room out the door and down the hallway. Suddenly like rapid lightning. It was like my face slash eyes went through a wormhole and I was sped up to where my car was parked. My vision went through the door and I floated and circled in on the backseat floor driver's side of my car. There was my Bluetooth. No. Just as fast as I went out, I snapped right back in and my eyes popped open. I was literally thinking, did I remote view that shit? Or was I in some weird ass state of bliss where all was right in the world? After the session, I walked out to my car, which was about three blocks away. For the hell of it, I opened the driver's side backseat door and the fucking Bluetooth was right where I saw it during the session. That is so cool. I have never been able to recreate the remote viewing, but I've had encounters with not-so-hot entities in dreams dressed like my grandparents. Whoa. Ghostly attachments from those who I thought looked like their daughter. Breath and touches on my neck in the basement of an abandoned TB hospital. Oh, creepy. Dreams that tell me things, including how not to crash my car. Very helpful dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Feelings that identify what everyone around me is feeling. Oh, and that someday I'll tell you about the plane crash dream of the United flight the week before my marriage that Mm. By the way, crash and burned <gasps> like the flight in the dream.
1: What? That, oh my god. That's like the movie Final Destination.
0: Rachel has some very cool stories. That scares
1: the shit out of me. If I ever had a dream that before I was taking a trip that the plane would crash, I would literally cancel the flight. Yeah. I think that that's honestly
0: a really good move. hmm She continues, So many stories, ladies. So many.
1: I want to hear the airplane one. By the way,
0: my aura tends to be blue, and I've only ever been able to see murky auras. Oh. Rachel has some super cool stories about her grandfather, who gives me like Patricia Arquette and medium vibes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like a total empath detective. Whoa. And he would like solve crimes. <gasps> Dude, Rachel has the coolest stories. She totally has, like, magic in her family lineage. It's so fucking cool.
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm
0: jealous. Yes. Also, Rachel hand makes really, really cool jewelry. So, everyone check out her Etsy shop. It's Sissy Glenny Creates. That's S-I-S-S-Y-G-L-E-N-N-Y Creates. In her Instagram, Sissy Glenny creates with underscores in between each word. Mm-hmm. Also, if you want to slippery slide into our DMs and tell us a dope ass story like Rachel did, please do. We want to hear it. We do. We want to hear all of it. Yes. And Rachel, thank you so much for just so much chatting and mm-hmm. I love it. We absolutely love it when you guys DM us. We talk for like a thousand days and we become best friends and (laughs) it's amazing. And then we all get friendship bracelets and then we all go look for Satan's ring together and -hmm. then demand rent from our tenants together as a family.
1: We all get mood rings. Mm -hmm. We should all get mood rings. We should. Yeah, definitely doing that. So if you want to slippery slide into our DMs, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all under Quiet Unusual Pod.
0: And if you want to join our Patreon and really slippery slide into mm. those deep DMs, baby. Yeah, those are the deeper
1: DMs. Oh, yeah. It's like the tavern. DMs. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: DDMMs. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Wait, what does the second M stand for? Mm. Oh. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. Deep direct message. Z. With a Z. Yeah. DDMMZ. If you want to get into those DDMMZs, hit us up. We're also at Quite Unusual Pod. You can go to the link in our bio, or
1: go to patreon.com/slash/Quite Unusual Pod. And we actually have a new patron to welcome. So we'd like to welcome Christina N. Welcome, Christina. Welcome to the Coven. We are so grateful for your support. We are. If you have anything spooky or cool to send us, we have a P.O. Box, so you Mm -hmm. can send that to P.O. Box 1212 in Des Illinois, 60017.
0: And, of course, if you like what you heard, leave us a review or, like, tell your friends about us. Yeah. Yeah. Both. We'll accept both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could, like, do whatever. You could just scream out the front of your house. Just open your front door and yell quite unusual subscribe to the quite unusual podcast
1: yeah that'll work i think it's fine Mm -hmm. and remember to celebrate the strange and keep it unusual bye Bye.
0: and now comes the part of our show where we give praise to the all-knowing leaders the supporters of the podcast and the all-around benevolent, mood-ring-wearing beings. Hmm,
1: liked that last bit. Spencer W., the only person who actually likes BTK's poetry.
0: That's embarrassing.
1: That's a choice.
0: To Tim M., who found a human skull while gardening in his backyard. Turns out Tim's house was built on ancient Canadian burial ground. Now the walls bleed maple syrup. The TV only plays old hockey games, and every time he hears a bump in the night, it's followed
1: by an... Oh, sorry about that. Maple syrup? That sounds delicious. Savannah L., previously the leader of a very popular cult. Savannah decided to call it quits and break up her group of loyalists. No, not because she was afraid it would turn into a doomsday cult... But because the price of dry cleaning and all those purple velvet robes were just too darn expensive... It can get pricey. To
0: Samantha P., who went to a crossroads in the middle of the night to make a deal with the devil. Only to find out that the devil isn't taking in-person meetings anymore. Everything is done over Zoom. Get
1: with the times. Let's go, Samantha. Mike B., figured out a way to move the antenna on his radio in just a way where he could contact the spirit world. It was fine for a while until the spirit world started celebrating Margarita Mondays, Wine Wednesdays, and Schnapps Saturdays. His house now sounds like a crowded bar almost every night of the week. That sounds problematic. Sounds like a good term to me. To Lauren
0: R., who once reanimated the corpse of her beloved gecko, Gerard, Mm. by using lightning and electrodes. They lived happily ever after again until Gerard began to grow at a rapid rate. (gasps) Lauren had to set Gerard free because he was just too big to live in her house. She can't be quite sure that Godzilla isn't actually her lizard, but she has never seen both of them in the same place at the same time. Kaleo,
1: a cryptozoologist with a working theory that Voldemort, oh, oh sorry, he who shall not be named, is actually the Michigan Dogman. A striking resemblance to Jess H.,
0: an evil vampire with a heart of gold. They only partially drain their victims and leave their bodies piled up outside the door of a blood bank, so the rest of the
1: contents can just be donated. Gotta use every part, what can I say? Evan K, an evil scientist obsessed with making the perfect human. They combined all the most flawless DNA, grew the cells in their lab, and when they finally revealed the specimen, it looked exactly like Paul Rudd. That checks out, actually. Yeah, no, that that works. The perfect
0: human. Mm-hmm. Yes, Paul Rudd. Yeah. To Adam R., who has successfully used a Ouija board every time. The key is just to move the planchette on your
1: own. That'll do it. Christina N., who just found out the Earth was flat when she tried to dig to China, but only got 50 feet down and realized, well, that was kind of it. Wow.
0: Are you saying that the earth is
1: leferthine? Yes. Yes, we are. Thank you to all of our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We're not worthy. We are not worthy. We're not worthy. We're the unworthiest of all of the worthy. We're not even worthy enough
0: to say how unworthy we truly are.